you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you have ever um, taught a lesson, given an invitation, preached a sermon, uh, you know the feeling of when you are going through an outline and you are even finished with an outline and then you look at it as you're preparing, uh, you know, preparing your thoughts the night before otherwise and, and as you're looking at it, you just think, wow, this needs to be thrown in the trash. <laughs> That's kind of what happened uh, uh, when I was looking at the, what, the original topic I was going to be looking at. I don't think it's trash, but I, when I get up to the pulpit, I like to make sure I know exactly what I'm going to say, what I'm actually thinking about the topic. And so we were going to be looking at Luke chapter 14. We were going to just postpone that just a little bit because uh, I want to make sure that I, I'm, I'm confident in uh, the applications that I want to make with that text there. So what we're going to be looking at tonight is um, the passage in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And this is going to be just really kind of springboard us into a, a thought process of really fellowship. And uh, so let's just go ahead and read the first few, uh, the, a couple of verses in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from the New English Translation just from the beginning. It's going to be up on the screen so you know uh, exactly where, uh, where I'm uh, reading from. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4, beginning. Romans 12 and verse 4. It says, for just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members who belong to one another. I really like the way uh, the New English translation puts that in the, at the end of verse 5 there, the notion that we belong to one another. Um, have you thought in those kinds of terms when it comes to the body of Christ, especially when it comes to the local congregation, the assembly that meets at Lakeside. We are members one of another. We, to a degree, belong to each other, as we see in Romans chapter 12. Uh, when it comes to fellowship, there are promises, I think, that we make when we join ourselves to a local assembly. This is not going to be a lesson that talks about uh, the need for, or, or, or I think the biblical case for uh, membership, adding yourself, trying to join, or not adding, but trying to join disciples of Christ. Um, I, I, there's a, a definitely a lesson to be had there, but really what I want to focus on tonight is this notion that when we are a part of a local assembly, there are promises that we have made. When we decide that we want to join a local congregation, a local church, we are making promises to those people. And so what I want to look at is maybe uh, if we haven't thought about it in those terms what are some of these promises that we make? And these are just a few things that we can look at, not everything. But what are a few things that we are telling through our example, that we are telling through our example of trying to uh, abide by the scriptures and be a part of a local congregation? What is expected of us? And what are we telling people when we try to join disciples of Christ? Just a couple of things that I want to look at tonight, uh, and the lesson will be yours. But first of all, when we are joining disciples of Christ. One thing that we are promising is that we are going to submit to one another. This is a theme that you find throughout the New Testament over and over again. The notion of submitting, being submissive. You can look especially at the example of Christ and, and the New Testament writers 
throughout all of the New Testament. Just go back to this notion of the, hum- the humble obedience of Jesus. Even the Lord. They use him as the prime example, the, 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 the main example of how we are to look. He is the greatest example of humility and of being, uh, and, and, and not allowing even, you know, the rightful prestige that he could have owned on earth. He doesn't allow that to get in the way of, of serving those who uh, are, are his people. So when it comes to this idea of being submissive specifically to one another, and as we're just all throughout this lesson, what I want you to think of is this notion of in terms of lakeside, my place at lakeside. What does this look like? Well, we are to give ourselves to one another. As we already saw in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, we belong to one another. If we're not already thinking in those terms, there's already a disconnect. It has to start with this. The, uh, over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, it, it has to start with um, in Second Corinthians chapter eight, as Paul is talking about uh, getting into the example of some faithful brethren. In Roman Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight, in verse three, he says, "For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability." as he's talking about the churches of, of uh, Macedonia, the, the, the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Uh, in verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urge, urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I think that progression is the right one. That first, when we want to become a Christian, what are we doing? We are subjecting ourselves first and foremost to God. But then what comes after that? Well, if you're following the scriptures, then you're giving yourself to the brethren. You want to do everything for your king. You want to do everything that your king says. We are obedient subjects. But what does that mean? We're going to accept his people. We're going to be among his people, and we are going to serve with his people. Um, and, and so I, I really like the way that Paul puts that in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just that notion of, it. obviously, we first give ourselves to God. But if we have truly, that means that we are going to be truly invested in this relationship, the local body, that family in Christ. Um, and so we are to give ourselves to one another with that kind of mindset, with that invested mindset. Well, not only that, but we are to be subject to one another. And, and you know, you think about being subject, but, but, but in what kind of way? You look over at Ephesians chapter 1, this word is used a few times, uh, well, a, a certain word is used a few times in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 22, a familiar passage, a familiar verse, as it talks about the authority of Christ, and specifically our relationship to him. Ephesians chapter 1, in verse uh, 20 beginning, it says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, a right, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That when we look at our relationship with Christ, that makes sense. This notion of being subject to the king. It's interesting, though, that the same Greek word is used later in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 24 first. You remember in Ephesians chapter 5, he starts talking about some relationships, specifically the marriage relationship. And why does he talk about that? Because this relationship is really supposed to be a, a foreshadowing of the relationship of Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, in uh, verse 24, it says, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be, ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Same word that's used there. Now, the reason I go through that is because I don't want to lose the definition of this word just because we're coming to the, you know, the carnal relationships. And by carnal, I just simply mean uh, going away from this relationship of Christ, looking specifically at our relationships on earth. Our earthly relationships is probably a better way of putting it. Now, when it comes to submitting, wives, are you supposed to submit because every decision your husband makes is just the best. Are, are you submitting because he's the perfect specimen of a man? I mean, other than Paige, that's just not the case. That's a joke. I'm just kidding about that. But no, you, you don't submit just because you think your husband is always going to be right 100% of the time. Why do you do it? Because that's what the king has told you to do. And it's not because they are just the most morally upright man. In fact, there are some women who are the most faithful women in this who have to be subject to, to men that are just plain awful. And yet their example is, is, is uh, even more encouraging because in dire circumstances, in hard circumstances, they are faithful and they are faithful to the, the, the commandments of the king. Now, in verse 21... Just going up a little bit further, or a little bit prior to that, before he actually talks about this relationship between the husband and the wife, Christ and the church, he says in verse uh, 21, same word being used here, that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The same word. So, again, let's not lose the definition of that word when it comes to being submissive to one another. Now, as we go throughout this lesson... You know that I'm not suggesting that we submit to people when they are trying to get us to do the opposite of what God wants us to do. Clearly, that's not what, what, what is being said here. But what he is saying is, in everything you can, be subject. He even talks about this in regards to the government. He says, listen, you suffer long, and you do what you can to be obedient citizens. As long as, he's, as, long as you know, you're not being commanded to go against God's commandments, then you need to be submissive. I think we lose that definition when it comes to a specifically brethren in the church. It's hard. It's hard to submit to just your spouse. <laughs> Definitely not going to do it for anybody else, right? But this is what we're called to, that we need to be subject, that we need to be submissive, and we need to have that kind of attitude, the, a servant heart, a servant kind of attitude. Now, going beyond that, clearly, as we just indicated, submission isn't always easy. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, as, as uh, Peter is talking about, uh, begins talking about the eldership, what that's supposed to look like. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5, it says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility, uh, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, and, and then uh, 
you, you go a little bit more into, as he talks about all through the epistles, some of the things that we do suffer through. But just looking at these verses here, especially in verse 5, uh, I, I do think that there's something to take from the, the notion that he specifically focuses on younger men, making sure that you be subject. Younger men tend to have a hard time being rash and being a little too passionate, maybe going away with their emotions. And so I, I think he does kind of get more distinct when it comes to certain individuals. There's something to be said about that. But going beyond that, again, it's the same word being used here. Don't you know that it's going to be hard every now and then? And what this means is be subject even if there's going to be disagreements. Well, I mean, we're all just following the scriptures, so there's never going to be a disagreement, Right? No, no. If you've been a Christian for long, you know that there are some disagreements. And the longer you are, uh, the longer you are a part of the church, you realize because of maybe some, some bad examples or maybe just, just some bad interactions, you find that there are stupid disagreements that brethren have. Things that cause splits of God's people that are not matters of doctrine, doctrine but merely a matter of preference. And so what I think the, the New Testament writers, what I think Jesus wants from us is to be submissive, to be subject whenever we can. Even when pride begins to, to you know, go against that notion, even when preference goes against that notion, there are many different things that can get in the way. But we must adhere to choices, especially as, as he was just talking about in the first part of chapter 5, elders and the eldership, those that watch over the flock. There needs to be that kind, of, that kind of submission to the elders when they make choices. I have been in congregations where I think that the men who were elders were fantastic men, and they were truly qualified. But even with those men, there were times where they made a decision and people did not agree. You can go back to 2020, just remember what happened, happened with COVID. And there were all kinds of decisions made by elders, and people were just flabbergasted every which way. You didn't have to look very far to find that there were people that disagreed strongly. And yet, God says, whenever, in every chance that you are able, submit to, to those men. Because they are men who are qualified, who have been qualified, not just randomly, but by God's word. When the congregation makes uh, a judgment call, when the congregation decides something, you know that even something as much as, you know, when the assembly is going to meet together. That's also a judgment. There's no doctrine saying that we have to meet 10 o'clock a.m. in the morning. But we do. And then 11 o'clock for worship services. No, that's a judgment call. But if you decide that you're just going to, you know, when, when Lakeside decides that we're going to meet at 11 o'clock for worship services, 10 o'clock for Bible class, are you just going to sit there obstinate and say, I'm really not a morning person. And so I refuse to come in until around 1130, right when I'm ready to be going to lunch. So I, I just refuse to go. That's not a submissive attitude, is it? That's an obstinate, that's a prideful attitude. And the New Testament over and over again tries to, to just, just get the notion across that you need to put that pride away and you need to be submissive and have the servant heart just like Jesus had. We may not always agree, but if it's a matter of preference, we need to submit. And we need to be striving for unity, as we'll talk about more in just a moment. But you go beyond that. Not only are we supposed to, to, to submit to one another, but we're to serve uh, within this local body. We are to serve our function, as it says in verse 4 in the New English translation. No matter what our function is, we must be active in the group. Now, I understand that there are things that people are, are better at than, than others, 
And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But, but no matter what that specific thing is that you are so good at, whether it's Bible teaching, whatever, whatever the case, you need to be active regardless. Now, I know that there are differences in personalities, and I know that sometimes there are some people that are much more sociable, and while others are just much more introverted. But just because we're introverted, just because we're not as much of a people person, that does not mean that we just get to be inactive, that we get to be idle within this kingdom, within Christ's kingdom. We, when we are trying to join the work of, of local brethren, what we are promising to do is that we are going to work for the group, not, not just because we, we love Lakeside more than anything, because we love Christ more than anything. And if we give ourselves to a, to a local congregation, then we are promising that we are going to help that congregation grow, not just in number, but spiritually. Help each other grow in character. Build men up to become elders and build women up to be to, to be women that can to be wives that can qualify their husbands as elders and teaching little children how to become Christians and when those little uh, children become Christians we're building them up and encouraging them whenever they come up to do a prayer or whenever they come up and they try to lead singing that is a very hard thing to do especially when you haven't done it before now, if there's going to be a little mistake made, and this was in one of the articles uh, in, in the couple, last couple weeks, but if, you know, someone does make a mistake, because that's bound to happen. I mean, it doesn't matter how experienced you are as a song leader, you are going to make mistakes until the day you die. That's just, a, that's just the facts. But when someone makes a mistake, are we just going to, to discourage that person by, by maybe not even going to them, but talking to everyone else about how, well, I, just, I really prefer it when this brother does it. Guess what? People are listening. Little ears are listening. And so we need to try and encourage one another and we need to try and help one another grow in even those aspects. Even the things that we may think, well, I have nothing to do with that. Maybe, it, maybe you are uh, not put in a position where you can lead in that capacity. Maybe you're a woman and you're not able to lead the assembly in that way. Does that mean that you have no responsibility there? No, encouragement is a big responsibility. We just talked about being sons of encouragement, daughters of encouragement. Are we going to be a Barnabas? Or are we going to be someone who tears down? We are, we're agreeing to work for the group, to contribute our portion, and to contribute in the work of the, uh, of the church, contribute in evangelism, contribute in worship, contribute in submission, as we were just talking about. And so we don't get to just come in and say, well, I'm a member somewhere, so that means I just get to sit down in the back pew and just not be seen. And I'm not saying if you're sitting in the back pew, don't take that as, as I'm saying that, you know, this is you. But you're someone who's just trying to make sure that you, you are, you know, checking the box. And then you hide for the entire worship service and then you leave. No, you need to be active. If we're not active, can we say that we are truly serving the king? You go beyond that. You must exercise that gift that you have, that it talks about in Romans chapter 12. Back in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. Beginning in verse 6 to this time of Romans chapter 12, it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. I love the way the New American Standard puts that. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, again, 
not everyone is going to have the same gift. Even in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about all these different uh, uh, roles within the church. Not everybody is an evangelist. Not everybody is an apostle. Not everybody is going to be able to be an elder. But does that mean that they have nothing to share? No. It means that they have, they don't, they can't share in that capacity. But they definitely have something that they can share. And if you have a gift that you are not sharing, again, I just ask, are you serving your king the way you're supposed to? If you are someone who can lead a Bible class, but you're choosing not to, why not? If you're someone who can lead in song worship, but you choose not to, why not? And, and again, I think the conversation should be had every now and then. Maybe there are some people that shouldn't be leading songs. But I would suggest that most of the time that's just more of an attitude thing. And maybe there is someone who can't carry a tune. Generally, those people will say, first and foremost, that they can't be up there because they don't want to hinder the I don't, I've honestly, I've never really heard J.R. sing, which is crazy. I used to, I was all, J.R. Bronger, I was always in the same congregation. as I even sat in front of him. I never really got to hear him because the, the singing was pretty loud and that was a blessing. But he always told me, you, you, you don't want me to lead singing. Because I've tried before and, and I've tried and I failed and I decided that's just going to hurt the congregation. Now, he doesn't say, I just, I don't want to be embarrassed again. What he says is, that's not encouraging for the brethren. And so I'm not going to do it. Now that, that's a good reason. That's a good reason to say, well, I'm just not going to, I, I can't do that. But if you're someone who can, but you choose not to, why? We're supposed to be serving in this kingdom. We're supposed to be serving one another and trying to build each other up. And so if you have a gift, I think what, what, what one thing that we find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 through 8 is excel in it. If you are good at encouraging people, oh, keep going. If you're good at teaching in a Bible class, maybe not only just keep teaching the Bible class, but also try to help brethren out when they're struggling with a Bible class or try to give them advice. I think there's many different things that we can do and help with with just the things that we are maybe better at than others. Now, uh, with all that being said, I think that sometimes we can use uh, this notion of having specific uh, things that we are better at than other things, uh, kind of as, uh, as a way to say, well, you know, my, my role is a Bible class teaching, so I'm not going to do anything else. I, I think sometimes we can use that as an excuse. We can't diminish our role. We can't diminish our function in the kingdom as an excuse for inactivity. And this kind of goes back to the first point of, of, of the, this idea of serving our function. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Beginning in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, similar language as Romans chapter 12. But it says, for even as the body is one and yet as many, has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is, not for the, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not nigh, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. There are many members of this body. Not all have the same function. And frankly, not all can serve the same function. And he uses this illustration to make that point, to show just how absurd would that look if every, if every part of the body was an eye. It wouldn't be a body. 
And so we, need, we do need to respect that and understand that, but we can't use this, uh, you know, looking at this idea of, well, because I'm not nigh, I'm not a part of the body. Well, you know, I, I'm not a good Bible class teacher, so, so I'm just not going to contribute at all in Bible class. Maybe you're someone who's just simply not worshiping. Maybe you, just, you justify that by saying that's not my forte. Kind of meant to pun there, but <laughs> also didn't. Maybe you're someone who's just not encouraging others. And, and, and maybe you're trying to justify that by saying, well, other, others are just more welcoming than me. And you know what? Maybe that is true. But does that mean that we're not to be encouraging one another? I can't help but think about what, what God says to Moses. Every time Moses tries to make an excuse and he says, oh, just send, just send somebody else. <coughs> God never coddles him in his excuses. He says, I'm a poor speaker. I'm slow of speech. God never says, hey, hey now. Yes, you are. Don't say that about yourself. No. What he says is, stop focusing so much on you and focus more on me. And maybe that's a part of the problem. Maybe there, maybe there are some times where we focus just too much on ourselves and not enough on what God has said. Not enough on what God expects from us. Over in Acts chapter 20. <coughs> using, uh, looking at Paul's example. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse uh, 32, as he's talking to the elders from um, uh, Ephesus, uh, he's giving them warnings and he's telling them what they must do. In verse 32, he says, Now I commend you to, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. And what is he talking about? But how he served in the kingdom in certain areas. And he talks about this even in 2 Corinthians. How, you know, he could have, he definitely could have uh, taken the support from them. It was his right. And Jesus even, and Jesus even gives teaching uh, to suggest that. But he doesn't take it. And why? Because he doesn't want to hinder their faith. In verse 35, I think you see the reason why. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul's function, I think we can all very easily say, his function was to preach. And he did, I think he did a good job. But even though that was probably pretty clearly his function, he didn't let that stop him from giving more. Well, listen, clearly what I'm supposed to do is preach, and as, as even more so, I'm supposed to be preaching to the Gentiles. And so, you know what? Uh, I'm just going gonna to leave the encouragement to Barnabas. No. Actually, in his example, while him and Barnabas, are, they both are encouraging. And especially when he's converted and he starts preaching, it says that his example is encouraging many. Paul could have said, well, you know, I'm, I, my main role in the kingdom is preaching. So that just means, you know what, I, I'm not going to serve as an apostle. <laughs> Can you imagine if he said that? He wouldn't be the example that he is. He wouldn't be the faithful example that he is. I wonder if sometimes we try to say the same excuses or those kinds of excuses, or if we speak like Paul or have the same attitude as Paul, where, listen, I'm willing to give more. Though I have a right to some of the, I'm willing to give it more. Do we have that same attitude, that servant attitude? Well, also, we are to submit to one another. We're to serve our function. We're to be active in, in the, the, the church. <clears throat> but we are also, I think, supposed to be accountable. First of all, you're to make yourself accountable to 
your brethren. Um, in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, you find Paul, after he's been converted, after he becomes a Christian, that he tries to join with certain disciples. Now, at the beginning, they're kind of terrified of him, and somewhat rightfully so, because he was persecuting the church, and pretty terribly. Now, Barnabas uh, kind of helps him and, and kind of uh, vouches for him, advocates for him, and, he's, and he is accepted by the brethren. But you find there from, from the very beginning of his life as a Christian, what is he doing? He's trying to go be with brethren. Now, you look at plenty other portions of, of the New Testament, but especially in the ministry of Paul. What does he always do whenever he goes to a new place? He, he always, on his journeys, tries to find brethren. And he always tries to dwell with brethren when he's not preaching to the Gentiles and to the Jews, to the Jew first and also the Gentiles. If there are brethren there, he goes and he meets with them and he dwells with them. If there are not any brethren there, guess what he's doing? He is trying to find brethren and convert some and bring more people into this family. But you look at other portions of the scriptures, it's clear that there's an accountability aspect all throughout when it comes to the church, particularly the local church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, what else could it be talking about? <clears throat> when, he, when he starts talking about a man who is in an in a immoral relationship with his father's wife, what does he say to do? You all, you all need to not continue your fellowship with him. And you need to make sure that everyone knows that you do not associate with this kind of sin, with this kind of immorality. There's clearly an accountability there. Or you look beyond that in Matthew chapter 18 and verses 15 through 20. We're not going to read it all tonight. But you see there that, that example that Jesus gives that when someone has done a wrong against you, you try to go to that brother. And if he doesn't listen to you alone, well, then you bring two others with you. And you try to reason with him and you try to bring him back. But if that doesn't work, what do you do? Well, the last resort, not necessarily the last resort, but one of the last resorts is bring the church, bring it before the church. And hopefully, hopefully that will resolve the issue. You're not trying to embarrass, but what are you trying to do? You're trying to mend the relationship because sin has occurred and someone, something is off kilter and someone needs to be brought back. But if that doesn't work, well, then you need to treat him as a Gentile. You need to treat him as a tax collector. Now, all of these examples, all of these parts of the New Testament just lend themselves so, so clearly to the notion that we are to be accountable to, to each other. <coughs> Excuse me, I need to take a drink of water. I think there was a frog in my throat, but uh, Hebrews chapter 3, uh, very quickly in Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 12 through 13, it says, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In verse 13, he says, encourage one another day after day. How are you going to do that? If you're not with each other day after day? No, even there's an expectation that we are going to dwell with one another, that we are going to be with one another as much as possible. And that's why you go to Hebrews chapter 10 and you see how uh, when it talks about not forsaking the assembly. But what are we supposed to do? Encourage one another, build each other up, stimulate one another to love and good works. How do you do that? You can't do it if you're not together. And so we need to try and be together and, and especially so that way we can keep each other accountable. So that way we can help one another. And again, not, not ever to embarrass, but specifically, specifically to save. Specifically to, to keep the unity. Specifically to try to help one another get to heaven. That's why. Now if there's someone who's just trying to embarrass, that's a different issue that needs to be talked about. 
But even, but even though there are people like that, that doesn't take away the notion, that doesn't take away the fact that God expects us to be accountable to each other and to help each other in that way. Uh, in James chapter 5, in verse 16, he says even that, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know how hard it is to confess your sins? I, I mean... We talked about how hard it is to submit to one another. It may be just as hard to confess our wrongs. You know, it, it's, like I said earlier, it's hard enough to confess your wrongs with your spouse. How much more with other people? Nobody likes to say, you know what, I made a mistake. Nobody likes to say, I've sinned. But we need to be like David. When he is confronted by Nathan, and let me just say, that would be hard to hear it the way he put it. Even when he's confronted in that way, what does he say? I, how dare you? You think you can talk to me like that? No, 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 no. He says, I have sinned before God. That's the kind of accountability that we need to have. But what that means is that we are making ourselves vulnerable to one another. And that is a difficult thing. To actually open ourselves up to these kinds of relationships where we're vulnerable with one another, where we, where we know each other's weaknesses. Because <clears throat> that can be a double-edged sword. But that means we got to trust one another. That means that we have to open up to one another if we're going to have that kind of relationship to be accountable with one another. Not only are we making ourselves accountable to brethren, but we're also making ourselves accountable for brethren as well. <clears throat> in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This notion of bearing one another's burdens. How easy is it to do that when it's coming from a stranger? Well, we're not supposed to be strangers. We're supposed to be a family. And again, what that means is we're opening ourselves up to those kinds of relationships. <clears throat> it is so much easier. So much easier. Though it's embarrassing to... Accept the rebuke from someone you know loves you than to, accept, to, than to accept it from someone who has never talked to you before except for when you've made a mistake, for when you failed. You know, it's so easy when that happens to just think, well, what are your motivations here? You never thought it was good enough to talk to me before we got to this point, but now that I've failed, oh, well, now, now I guess it's okay to talk to me because, you know, you know you're better than, no, I, that's not the right kind of mindset. But isn't that, how we, isn't that where we immediately go a lot of the time when people come up and even when they're just trying to say, hey, you've made a mistake. Yes, you have, but I'm, I'm here to help. But even in just the notion of, of people saying, I want to help, what does that mean if there is no relationship there? So the question is, to, are, are we making, actively making the efforts to deepen the relationships with each other now? So that we, we can do this later, effectively. <clears throat> you, uh, I'm, not, I'm not about to cry. I just, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. My, my, my throat keeps closing up on me a little bit. But you, you can't leave this responsibility for others in the group. This is not just, oh, well, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, Brother Danny, he's, he's very good at encouraging people. He's very good at talking to people. When, when maybe there's a failure, I'm just going to leave it to him. What if every other member here decided that they were just going to leave it to him? Is that a good thing? You know, I, I, know, I, I know that, you know, Brother Tom, he's just so sociable. 
And he's, he just so easily goes up and talks to new people, to visitors, and, and, you know, people can just feel so comforted by him. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to leave that to him. Do we, have, do we get to use that reasoning? No. No, we don't. There's a collective responsibility. We all have to be active. We all have to be accountable here, not just to one another, but for one another. <clears throat> and so, again, are we building these relationships now so that way we can help in that way later? Well, all of this just to say uh, we're we're to submit to one another, to serve our function, to be accountable to one another, ultimately so that way we can preserve unity. This is also one of the main goals that we have, that we are trying to attain. You know, we maybe could have started here because I think it all culminates in striving for unity. Over in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I do think it's interesting how, how much he emphasizes in verse 12 that humility and gentleness, with patience, Showing tolerance for one another in love. Why do you have to have all of these things? Because, again, we're not going to agree 100% of the time. And sometimes we are going to hurt each other's feelings. And you know what they say, You know what the, what the New Testament writers say? You need to get over it. Because we're supposed to be striving for unity here. You're going to have to put your pride away. You're gonna have to put, I'm going to have to put the pride of Luke Caps away for the glory of Jesus. Even if that means that I'm going to be wronged. As, as Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, wouldn't you rather be defrauded? Wouldn't you rather be, suffer the wrong? So that way the kingdom can be glorified, so that way you can maybe mend this relationship with your brother? Do we have that kind of attitude and mindset? Is that our goal? Are we, are we, are we really thinking ahead to the point where we say, I, I'm working right now so that way if I am hurt by a brother or a sister in Christ, even if it's someone of, that, uh, of, of this group, Am I working now to make sure that when that happens, I'm not going to have harsh feelings against them, bitter feelings against them? Or am I working so that way I can have only merciful thoughts for them? That's what we need to be striving for. So that way we can preserve the unity, that we are striving for unity together. Now, how do we do this? Very simply, by being of the same mind in keeping with sound doctrine. Over in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And then you go a little bit further down in chapter 2 and you find, what mind are we supposed to have? Oh yeah, Christ's, the one who really was the greater. But serve the lesser. In John chapter 13, girds girds himself with a towel and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. When it should have been the other way around. It's not like you get to that passage and then Jesus says, Oh, oh, no, 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 this is the way it's supposed to be. No, 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 no. I am the greater. I'm the teacher. You should be serving me. But look what I'm doing. Why am I doing that to you? As an example. So that you can follow my example. So we need to have the same mind. We need to have... His mind, put on his mind and let go of 
of our pride, let go of the worldly passions that we used to live in. Over in Romans, again, in chapter 15, very quickly, Romans 15 and verse 5. He says, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember where we started in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? We need to give ourselves to God and then give ourselves to each other. If we do it in that order, we will be able to preserve unity. We will be able to strive for unity in an effective manner. Where we fail is if we aren't, first of all, giving ourselves to God, and then secondly, not giving ourselves to each other. So does growing, uh, and I would just say before we move on, does growing in unity only have to do with what goes on inside these walls? Or does it go on beyond these walls as well? Who do we spend the most of our time with? Who... What relationships are we trying to deepen? Is, is, is it the church? Or is it others? And so we need to be striving to be with one another as much as possible, striving to preserve that unity in every way possible. <clears throat> Encouraging one another, stimulate, stimulating one another to love and good works. So what does it take to preserve unity? Well, ultimately, everything we've talked about tonight, it takes accountability. It takes an active brotherhood, not an idle one. And it takes submission. True, genuine servant hearts. So, the question is, have you been living up to these promises? Whether you realize that you're making these promises or not, have you been living up to them? It's not just a promise that you made to each other, but it's a promise you made to God as well. That you were going to serve Him and that you were going to serve with His people. And I will just say, I know that it's, it can be hard sometimes. It takes a lot of effort. It can take a lot of our time. But Lakeside will be benefited, and so will you. And that's not just me saying that. That's the scriptures teaching that, that we need each other. God says so. Are we taking each other for granted? Fellowship is a beautiful blessing, but it is also a responsibility. And that responsibility is not optional. <clears throat> so do you want that kind of fellowship? Do you want fellowship with God, first of all? If we can help you with that, please let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.